again. The book of Numbers, chapter 23 and 24. We're going to have several messages, lessons from this passage of Scripture that shares with us that there was a man raised up by the name of Balaam, and it was his intent and goal to curse a people that God had already blessed. Here in the book of Numbers, we're going to be starting with chapter 23. Numbers chapter 23, here in this great book. Now, the children of Israel are approaching the land that they've been seeking for and traveling towards for the 40 years. And we have this interlude here. And it really shares with us that God cares about his people, even though it doesn't look like he is. They're over here. We have somebody over here that is being paid to curse the children of Israel and God's overruling and overriding of this man by the name of Balaam. In the book of Numbers chapter 23, we read these words. Numbers chapter 23, and I want to read verses 1 through 12. And Balaam said unto Balak, Build me here seven altars, and prepare me here seven oxen and seven rams. Now, before we get too far, would you join me back in the book of Numbers chapter 22? Numbers chapter 22. Before we get too far from that passage... Let's go to Numbers chapter 22 and the last verse of that chapter. In Numbers chapter 22 and verse 41, it came to pass on the morrow that Balak took Balaam and brought him up into the high places of Baal. Now, Baal is a false god, and this is where he is worshipped. But notice how or what Balaam was permitted to see from this high place. It says that thence he might see the people, might see the utmost part of the people. So this is the first time that Balaam has been permitted to look over and see the people that he's going to be paid to curse. These are the people of God. And we're going to find out that, or we've already found out, that Balaam has been told by Almighty God, those people are blessed people. They are blessed people because I have blessed them. And now he continues on in his determination to curse them for pay. Let's follow this out, going back again to the book of Numbers chapter 23. Verse 2, And Balak did as Balaam had spoken. And Balak and Balaam offered on every altar a bullock and a ram. And Balaam said unto Balak, Stand by thy burnt offering, and I will go peradventure. The Lord will come to meet me, and whatsoever he showeth me, I will tell thee. And he went and in high place, and God met Balaam. Now God, sometimes he uses the the oddest servants. Here's a servant that has no interest in God. Here's a servant that has no interest in God's word. And here's a servant that has been in absolute disobedience to Almighty God. And he is, he is hard as far from him. He has no knowledge about God except what he intends to do and use. He wants permission to curse the people of God. But he has no knowledge beyond that. He is just a lost man before God. He has no hope in this world. He has no help in this world. And he has a God in this world. And he's been at his place. And that's Baal, the place of Baal. But he goes off with the intent, the thought of inquiring from God about what he can do. 
In verse 5, the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, which is very, very important in the scripture. This is Jehovah put a word in Balaam's mouth. Now, it's interesting, just prior to this, he put a word in a donkey's mouth. And he had, there's two verses that are mentioned there that he spoke to Balaam through a donkey. Now, people say that's impossible. With God, nothing shall be impossible. He had the ability, he has created all creatures, he has the ability of doing with them what he wills. We find out that the Lord used critters for his glory, his honor, and his praise. He even had a fish come up with a gold coin in his mouth so that his disciples could pay their taxes. What a miracle. He even prepared a great fish that swallowed up Jonah. I don't know how many accounts I've read that a whale can't swallow a man. I don't care. He prepared a great fish to do that. We're not talking about a whale. We're talking a prepared fish that swallowed him and had the ability at God's command to spew up that man on dry ground. That's what the Word of God says. All right, so we have a man that goes to pretend to inquire of the Lord, and it says here in verse 5, the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return unto Balak, and thus shalt thou speak. And he returned unto him, and lo, he stood by his burnt sacrifice, he and all the princes of Moab. Now these burnt sacrifices meant nothing to him. There is nothing that resembles these that was going on with the children of Israel. Over here, these were ordained of God. They were on a purpose to picture the Lord Jesus Christ. They were to demonstrate unto us that Christ and Him crucified. These are people that would come and lay their hands. The priest would lay his hands upon these sacrifices and confess the sins of the people over these sacrifices, and then they were consumed. Exactly what we find with regard to our Savior, the Lord Jesus, that God Almighty confessed the sins of His people and imputed them to the Lord Jesus, and He was crucified and bore our sins as far away as the east is from the west. These are mimicking sacrifices. They have nothing to do with what's been going on over here in Israel. These are just trappings of religion. These are just trappings of Balaam and Balak and Baal worship. But here they are. They're still there. They're thinking they're doing a religious thing. And they are. They're doing a very religious thing. We all, by nature, are very religious and it takes the grace of God to lift us out of that position that we might worship the true and the living God and that we might see that it was he that ransomed us from our sin. He returned unto him, verse 6, and lo, he stood by his burnt sacrifice and he and all the princes of Moab. They're expecting. These princes of Moab are expecting that this man that they're paying will do exactly what he said he would do, and that is curse the people of God. And then it tells us here in verse 7, and he took up his parable. He took up his parable. This word parable mentioned in this, ver were in this verse and several others is the Hebrew word mashal, and it is used in the Bible for different kinds of poetic composition. We're going to have a poem put out here. It doesn't show it in most of our translations, but this is a poem that God gave Balaam to share with Balak and all of the princes of Moab and for our benefit down to this very day, or we wouldn't have it. 
this uh, here in this poetic utterance is uh, mashal is not a term generally used for pronouncements by the Hebrew prophets, but it is generally appropriated to Gentile sorcerers, what this word means. So we have a Gentile, we have a sorcerer. He's called a sorcerer. Joshua called him a sorcerer. He was not a person of God, and he's killed in a battle. The, the uh, uh, Jewish people uh, take him out with a sword. Uh, Balaam's character is this, that under all the impressions that the Lord had blessed Israel, and blessed them he did, he is still trying to curse the people of God, be obliged to pick up his pay and leave. And yet the Lord says this, read this with me. He spoke this parable and said, Balak, the king of Moab, hath brought me from Aram out of the mountains of the east, saying, Come, curse ye me, Jacob, and come, defy Israel. Verse 8, How shall I curse whom God hath not cursed? Or how shall I defy whom the Lord hath not defiled? For from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. Lo, the people shall dwell alone and shall not be reckoned among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob and the number of the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous, and let me uh, my last be in be like this. Now notice Balak's response to this. He understood this. We may not understand it like we should, but he understood what this man he's hired to do to curse Israel has said. For he says, Balak said unto Balaam, What hast thou done unto me? I intend to pay you good silver for cursing Israel, and you have blessed them. He says there, What hast thou done unto me? I took thee to curse my enemies, and behold, thou hast blessed them altogether. And he answered and said, Must I not take heed to speak that which the Lord hath put in my mouth? Well, it's so interesting, as even as we find that the Lord used a dumb donkey. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Second Peter. Second Peter. Peter is called on to bring this incident up many, many, many years later and share with us that this type of shenanigans is not over. There are people that will continue to attempt to curse the people of God, and yet they are a blessed people. Oh, no, you can't mean that you believe that. Oh, no, you can't mean that you believe that God saves his people from their sins. It's, I do that. I take care of that. Well, Second Peter, we find in chapter 2, verse 15, it says, For which forsaken the right way are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bazor who love the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity. The dumb donkey speaking them with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. Now that word madness means insanity. He's demonstrating true insanity here, and he's rebuked for his iniquity. The dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice. You know, we heard read this morning, surely the wrath of man shall praise him. 
Revelation chapter 2. Let's go to another place here in the New Testament and read about this character that is brought out in three chapters here in the book of Numbers. Revelation chapter 2 shares with this about this infamous individual. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 14. It says here, But I have a few things against thee, the Lord speaking to a church, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things offered to idols or sacrificed to idols and to commit fornication. So the Lord himself shared with these people that I have a few things against you. You know, during the ministry of the Lord Jesus, we find so much in relationship to what we read about Balaam that the people said good things with their mouth, but their heart was far from him. It was, they would compliment, oh, good master, would you answer this question? On and on it goes, but their heart was far from him, and that's what's brought out in the scriptures. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, there's a verse of scripture that the Apostle Paul was led to bring to the saints at Corinth. And in this passage of scripture, he shares with us how many things it might be possible to do. It says there in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. Wow. And he goes on to say, and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. If I don't have love, I'm just like a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. I love to hear people play the bells. But one bell, over and 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 over. My mother used to have an organ, a pump organ. And we would get on that thing and hit one note for 10 minutes. And here comes mom says, turn that thing off. If I don't have God's love, I am like one bell rattling and rattling and rattling. One organ note rattling and rattling and rattling. And he goes on to say, although I have the gift of prophecy. Well, we could say, some people would say, Balaam had that and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains. What's the Lord say? If we had faith as a grain of mustard seed, we could say to this mountain, be ye removed, and it would be removed. We don't have any faith. It is all faith that God gives us. But here, if I could do this, and have not love, I am nothing. And what is that love? If I don't have love, Love of God and love of Christ and love of his work and love of his word and love that God is God and beside him there is none else. Love of his gospel. It's not some man-made gospel. It is the gospel of God Almighty. Free grace in Christ Jesus alone. If I don't have that love for that, I am a tinkling cymbal and a sounding brass. I don't have any compassion towards God and his word. The love of his doctrines and the love of his grace. If I don't have that love, I'm like, and even though I do all these wonderful things, 
You know, those that stand on the left-hand side are going to say, have I not prophesied? Have I not cast out demons? Have I not done all of these things? And the Lord Jesus will say, you do not have the love of Christ. Therefore, depart from me. What does that mean? You don't love my word. You don't love me. You don't love what God does. You don't love what God has said. No, when God's word speaks, God's people love it. We find out that there is nothing on our part that we can do, but God has taken care of it all, and we love it. We find out how far short we are. We find out how we are bent over. We are in sin. We are in desperation. And yet God, his purpose is shown in the scriptures that he will lift his people up out of that. Oh, that there is so often in the scriptures we find as God dealt with Balaam, as he dealt with Balak. Now, this is just the first out of several times that Balak is going to move him to another place with the idea that being in a different part of the world, he's going to be able to do what God wants him to, or to what Balak wants him to do. He's going to move him, but he's going to have the same thing to say. Isn't it wonderful, as we find in the scripture, that he declares his omnipotency in everything? There is nothing that he does not declare his omnipotency by letting us know that he overrides and overrules. He's the one in charge. His omnipotency is always before our eyes that he is the one that has all power. And even though some man is hired by another man to curse the people of God, God himself said, I will overrule in this and I will override. We find in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, and we know that all things work together for the good of them that love God to those who are the called according to his purpose. He overrides, he overrules, he is taken care of. He took a man out here and he had to instruct him with a donkey and he let him go over here to make an attempt to curse the people of God, to bring up lies about God, and God overruled that and shuts him down. You know, there are many ways in the scripture that the Lord shares with us that he overrules. You know, there is a time when a prophet makes a declaration about a king. You go into battle, you're going to die. Well, the king decided he would trade clothes with the king of, of uh, Judah. And he would get in his chariot, and he'd ride off, and nobody would know. You know, in God's omnipotency, he moved on a man. The Bible tells us this. He moved on a man to shoot an arrow in a venture. Well, I know this isn't going to do any good, but I'm going to let her go without any intention to smite any particular person. And that arrow goes and hits King Ahab, just like the prophet said would happen. The man drew a bow in a venture. No particular individual in mind. Now, one of the rich blessings that we find with regard to God's overruling is found in a person by the name of Joseph. Joseph is loved by his father and despised by his brothers. And he is going to be left for dead. And then some Midianites come along and says, why don't we make some money on this guy? 
and they sell their brother into bondage to the Midianites. Well, the Midianites just happened to be going down to Egypt. And down in Egypt, he's turned over to a man by the name of Potiphar. And you know what? His wife has designs on him, on Joseph, and he's thrown into prison. And there he is, brings about, knows the knowledge of some dreams. And before you know it, he's standing before the Pharaoh of Egypt, interpreting dreams. God gave him the interpretation. He's put into a position, God's overriding, God's sovereign display, God's omnipotency in display, sold into prison, sold into slavery, and now is the head man, second man, He's the prime minister of Egypt dispensing grain. And you know while he's down there, there's, there's three verses talking about me overriding scripture and not paying much attention. But there's three verses of scripture that mentions a lady down in Egypt that Joseph marries. And you know, for all the tea in China, she could not have hoped for any better gift than someone to come down to Egypt to share with her the everlasting gospel. One person out of all the hosts of Egypt is put into a home of somebody that knew something. And she bore him two children, Manasseh and Ephraim. And you know what? He probably is the only son of Jacob that didn't have plurality of wives. God's overriding, his omnipotency on display. He did that over a passage of years with Joseph, put him into the exact right place at the right time, and was used to bring the children of Israel into a proper place down in Egypt we find this going on and on. The, uh, there in the book of Exodus, would you turn with me to chapter 9 of the book of Exodus for just a moment? In the book of Exodus, chapter 9, verse 13. We have the omnipotency. Now there arose a Pharaoh in Egypt who knew not Joseph. And Moses is there at this time. And you know, we know he was raised in the household of Pharaoh. He was raised in Pharaoh's daughter's household. He's been rescued. He's supposed to be dead. There was an edict to kill all the male children. Throw them out in the river. Let them drown. There's getting too many of these people. We can't handle it. We don't want any more of them. And by God's grace, he is delivered because his mother put him in a little ark and Pharaoh's handmaidens found him and said, well, let's raise this boy up. And he spent 40 years there in Pharaoh's household. And then he had to leave because he murdered a man, went to the backside of the desert. For 40 years, he herded sheep. Now God appears to him in a burning bush and says, it's time to deliver my people. They've been here for almost 400 years. When it's exactly 400 years, they will be delivered because that's the promise I made to Abraham. So Moses is raised up to come down here and to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. 
If you turn to the book of Acts chapter 7, I think it is, Stephen already mentioned that. He already knew that he's going to do this. They just didn't know it. Well, the time comes, and here in Exodus chapter 9, verse 13, And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For I will at this time send all my plagues upon thine heart and upon thy servants and upon thy people that thou mayest know that there is none like me in all the earth. What is God doing with Balaam? I'm going to let you know that there is none like me in all the earth. I will override every hope he has of cursing the children of Israel, just as we find here that Moses was raised up and he's standing before Pharaoh Now, verse 15, Now I will stretch out my hand, and I will smite thee and thy people with pestilence, and thou shalt be cut off from the earth. And the very deed of this cause have I raised thee up. What did he say to Pharaoh? Pharaoh has a long lineage. Oh, he's been rich. His parents have been rich. And now he's right here, and right before him stands Moses, and he delivers the message that God delivered to him. He says, For this very reason have I raised thee up to show in thee my power and that my name shall be declared throughout all the earth. What do we remember about Balaam? God overruled him. God determined he would not curse the people and that he would deal with him in his omnipotency and put his own words in his mouth. Can you imagine when Balaam got those words, how bad they tasted? When he went there with the idea of cursing and he came back with only a blessing for the people of God, how bad that tasted? Oh, my goodness. And he kind of got that spewed out of his mouth, and the second opportunity comes to do it. And you know what God did? He stuck the same words back in his mouth and got to taste them again. And the third time, again, what is God demonstrating? I am omnipotent. I will overrule. I will interfere. I will take care of my people, and I'll do it as I will do it. Verse 16 here in the book of Exodus. And in the very deed for... And in very deed, for this cause have I raised thee up, for to show in thee my power, and that my name may be declared throughout all the earth, not you, Pharaoh, but my name, my power, not your power. And as yet exalted thou thyself against my people, that thou wilt not go, let them go. You know, the Lord tells us in the next chapter, chapter 14, I'll harden Pharaoh's heart. Oh, my goodness, God wouldn't do that. He did. He hardened Pharaoh's heart. God intervened on the behalf of his people. His omnipotency is declared throughout all the world. He dealt with a most powerful king at the time and hardened his heart. And the result of that hardening was that he would go after the children of Israel and God would take care of him for time and for eternity at the same time. It is so interesting when we read about the conquest of the land. The children of Israel are just about ready to go into the land. And you know, as we see him overriding with Balaam, putting his own words in his mouth, he can't say anything else, and he is making his, his uh, 
a payee, so upset. What have you done? I asked you to curse these people, and you blessed them. Well, I can't say any more than God gave me. Bitter pill in his mouth. And you know we find this as God overrides and overrules and all things. When Joshua sent two spies into the land, into Jericho. You know what's astonishing to me is when they come to Rahab. Now they know God directs them, right? The right place to go, to Rahab. And you know what Rahab said? We feared you for the last 40 years. When you crossed the Red Sea, we heard about it. We are afraid of you already. Why was the city locked up? Because they were afraid of Israel. And you know, they conquested Jericho in such an astonishing way, they didn't do anything. They marched around it. They had not one thing to do with lowering those walls or destroying the walls of Jericho. God took care of that. You know, you read in some commentaries that horns destroy that. My goodness, what people will do to disregard what the Word of God has to say about how God does His business. He destroyed the walls of Jericho. And He destroyed it in such a way that they could go into the city. Another thing that is so astonishing to me, read with me in Isaiah chapter 44. Throughout the Scriptures, God has declared His omnipotency over all things. He's omnipotent over Balaam and Balak. He's omnipotent over his own people. It is a God that is omnipotent that is dealing with his people even today. He deals with them according to his omnipotency, his power. His power is the only thing that can raise us from the dead. His power is the only thing that can take us out of the pit we're in. In the book of Isaiah chapter 44, we read about a man by the name of Cyrus. Now, the interesting thing about this in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 44, verse 28. In Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 28, we read about a, a man by the name of Cyrus. There in verse 28, the scriptures share this. That saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure even saying to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be built, and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. This is not historical. These words were written 150 years before Cyrus was born. God had, peradventure, already directed what was going to happen. This is before the children of Israel have been even put in Babylonian captivity. He is writing about the man that will release them. Turn with me to the book of Ezra, chapter 1. In Ezra, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, we read the glorious statement here about this man by the name of Cyrus, named by God, God's servant, 150 years before he became the servant of God in such a way. In Ezra chapter 1, verse 1, we read these words. Now the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia. Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. The first year of Cyrus, king of Persia. Now we just read about him in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, that passage of scripture was written approximately 150 years. My goodness, it is no small thing. 
for God to open up the mouth of a false prophet and stick his words in it and say, go prophesy and fulfill all my bidding. And when he gets over there, hoping and hoping against hope that he can curse the children of Israel, he opens his mouth and the words of the Lord flow out. And Balak, the man who has hired him, says, what have you done to me? You know what? He's going to say that three times. What have you done? I'm paying you to curse. Who's the overriding? Who's the omnipotency one? Here in the book of Ezra, chapter 1, verse 1, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation. Do you think that Cyrus goes down to the temple and prays? Do you think that Cyrus is offering sacrifices unto the Lord? Do you think that Cyrus even knows anything about God Almighty? Nope. He doesn't know a thing. He's not a believer. God is using him as he said he would. God has someone on the throne in Persia where the children of Israel are, and he said 150 years prior to this, he will let my people go. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him an house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. And he goes on to say, we'll let them go. You know, in the book of Matthew, chapter 12, verse 14, turn over there with me if you would. We have this statement made about man, made by man. That's what we want to say, made by man made by man about the Lord. Matthew chapter 12, verse 14. It is no small thing. God can deal with a situation 150 years in advance. You know when he really dealt with that situation? Eternity passed. When did he really deal with Balaam and Balak in eternity past? When did he really deal with Joseph going down to Egypt? In eternity past. This is not just the writing of history as it goes on. This is the purpose of God being fulfilled. This he's carrying out his will. All that he purposed before the foundation of the world is being carried out by Balaam and by Balak, by Joshua and the children of Israel at, at uh, Je uh, Jericho, by Joseph in Egypt, all of these things. And here we read in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 14, Then the Pharisees went out and held counsel against him how they might destroy him. We have the people against God. Who's going to win here? <laughs> they make counsel on how they might destroy him. Well, do you know what? They are absolutely fulfilling the eternal purpose of God. That's why Christ came. He came to lay down his life, a ransom for many. He came for the purpose of saving his people from their sins. Well, let's just jump from Matthew 12, verse 14, over to the book of Acts, chapter 2. 
In the book of Acts chapter 2, we read this about that same incident. They determined, they just started thinking about how we might destroy him. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 23, the wonderful words of God is shared with us that this has all been taken care of beforehand. These men moved as it was determined by the Lord. Balaam moved as it was determined. You cannot curse my people. I will use you as an object lesson. I will teach my people that I will overrule in all things on their behalf. I will make my power known. And here in the book of Acts chapter 2 and verse 23, this same one that they determined on how they might destroy him, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. He's already been delivered for this purpose. And now we see how it's going to happen. God has worked this out gloriously on his behalf that he might demonstrate how overriding, how omniscient he is, or excuse me, omnipotent he is in all things. He moves upon people to come up against the Lord. And then we find out that he's already been delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. When was that? Before the foundation of the world, that was. Foreknowledge. Ye have taken by wicked hands, have crucified and slain. As we found out this morning, that man was released from prison. Pilate would have let Jesus go. It was overridden. Barabbas is released. Can you imagine what he was thinking while he's down there in that prison? when he heard all those words, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And if I was down in prison with that sentence over me, I'm a murderer and a robber, and I have tried to overthrow the government, they haven't heard what Pilate has said. They haven't heard what the people have said. But all they can hear is crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And then the guards come down and release him out of prison, and they have a hold of his hands. What's going to happen to me? What's... They know. He knows what's going to happen to him. And as soon as he steps out in the light, says, go free. What are you talking about? Isn't that what the Lord does for us? Took us out of prison, out of darkness, and said, you are free. Because he laid down his life for you. Oh, the scriptures continue on. Not one hair of your head is lost without God's knowledge and purpose being performed. The truth of the matter is God's overriding all things. And we turn with me to the book of of John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Before our time completely runs out, turn with me a couple of verses in John chapter 6 that just share with us that God is overriding. He proves it so often in the scriptures, and now he demonstrates it here Look at John. He just demonstrates it right before our very eyes. He said, all that the Father giveth me, what? Shall come to me. I'm overriding. I am omnipotent. I will override. I stopped a man who wanted to curse and turn it into a blessing. I opened the mouth of a donkey to speak to that prophet. I overrode with Pharaoh. 
For this purpose have I raised thee up. And on and on the verses go. And now we come down to us. All that the Father giveth me shall come unto me. And he that cometh unto me, what? I will in no wise cast out. Why? Because he's omnipotent. He's the one that overrides and overrules. We may have said a dozen times, I'm not going there. I don't want to hear that. But God in his omnipotence. And you know when he gives us the word in regeneration, they're not bitter words to us. They're sweet words. Oh, it's like a honeycomb in the mouth. So sweet, the word of God to his people that he would care before the world began, care before he created Adam, care that he would have a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He'd have names written down in the Lamb's book of life. He would care. And then in time, all that the Father giveth me shall come unto me. And then in verse 39, and this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I shall lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And in verse 45 of that same chapter, it says, It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father, what? Cometh to me. I will draw them with cords of love. They shall come. I will draw them out of every nation, kindred, people and tongue. I will bring them here to Christ. Every man that hath heard. John chapter 19. Turn with me to the book of John chapter 19. One more time, Pilate speaks. The writing above the cross of a convicted person, that writing up there was the accusation. This is why we're crucifying them. And Pilate had, and this is just part of it. You look at all four Gospels, you'll read it all. But here it says, Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And this title then read many of the Jews for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Why was it written in so many languages? So everybody could read it. Some people were Hebrews, some people were Greeks, and some people were Romans. So they got to read it in their own language. And then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but he said, I am king of the Jews. Verse 22. The omnipotency of Almighty God exercised in a pagan man. What I have written, I have written. Did they change it? No. Pilate was used of God to bless the people of God. What I have written, I have written. Well, we find God overruling in all things, and if he didn't, there would not be one person on the right-hand side. If he didn't override in our lives, didn't demonstrate his omnipotency in our lives, we would never come to him. But all that the Father giveth me shall come unto me, and he that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out. What's that mean? I'll never be angry with. I'll never despise. I will love him with an everlasting love like I've always loved him.
All right. Brother Mike, if you'll come.